There are different times in our lives when we have life-changing moments, when we realize things, when we come to epiphanies and something changes in our life. For me, one of those moments, one of the biggest moments was in my early 30s, and I wish it was earlier than that, but some people grow slower than others. But I had a life-changing moment of clarity about how truly sinful I was. And when I say that, I'm not talking about the obvious sin. I'm not talking about the sins of the flesh. Those are obvious. They're attractive, but we know what they are. I'm talking about the more subtle sins, what we would call the pride of life. And when I came to this realization, I, I sat down, I was in Celebrate Recovery, and I was, I was really looking at myself, and I began to pull the little threads of my motives, and to pull the little threads of my desires. And what I found when I did that was sin, in places I didn't know that it existed. And then I found sin waiting to pounce in ways that I never could have imagined. I found that even the things that I desired that were in line and in keeping with what God wanted for me could still be filled with pride and selfish ambition. So I could do things like this, like I'm doing today. I could get up here and I could preach and I could teach and I could encourage all good things, but I could do them with myself in mind because I wanted something for me so I could be glorified. Our flesh will go to great lengths to put itself first. And as I was doing this, I didn't like what I found. I don't like finding sin within myself. I don't like finding selfish ambition. So I decided I'm going to work and I'm going to humble myself. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to expose my sin. And I'm going to tell others about my sin, which is a big thing in, in Celebrate Recovery. But much to my surprise, I, I found pride there also. See, I needed others to know that I was being sacrificial. I needed others to know, hey, I'm doing this new thing. I'm doing this good thing. And I could find sin there as well. Again, our flesh will go to great lengths. We'll do gymnastics to put ourselves first. It's one of the many reasons that I thank God for his grace, especially in a culture that has a seemingly unending number of idols to take the place that belong to God. One of the best ways to expose the pride in our hearts, especially the pride in the sin that is not always obvious to us, is by uncovering the idols that threaten to take a place that belongs to God. And when I say idolatry, I want to make sure that you guys know what I mean. Because when we think of idols, our mind tends to conjure up images of golden calves, and rightfully so, because ever since the time that we were the age of the safari students, we've heard the lesson in Exodus chapter 32 about the Israelites worshiping a golden calf. And again, most of us know this story, and if you have a chance to read this chapter, I highly recommend that you do so, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to recap. The Israelites were waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain after speaking with God, after literally speaking with God. What's also important here to know is they had been led out of Egypt. They have been led out of captivity. They're no longer slaves. They had witnessed plagues, the Passover, they had been given manna and quail from heaven. They've been led by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. 
they had literally seen the power of God in ways that we could never imagine. It also is important to mention that they had received the Ten Commandments. So they knew exactly what God wanted them to do and exactly what God did not want them to do. And so what did they do? And we know the story. They became impatient. They became impatient, waiting for word from God. So they went before God and they took all their earrings off and Aaron melted them down and they made an idol to worship. This is kind of a ridiculous story. I remember being a kid and the stories of the Israelites wandering in the desert always blew my mind. They were always messing up. They're always going before God, worshiping idols. They grumble, they complain. But as I have become older and more spiritually mature, embarrassingly, I've realized that I am and we are a lot like God's people in the desert. I've realized that we make just as many mistakes as the Israelites. And so when we read a story like Exodus chapter 32, we tend to blow past it and we think, wow, I guess people were not as smart back then. I guess they were maybe were a little slow because I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have witnessed God's power. I wouldn't have seen God's wrath. I wouldn't have known God's rules and known God's word and then do something like that. God just wasn't working fast enough for them. And he probably wasn't working in the way that they wanted, or at least in the way that their flesh wanted. So they begin to doubt God. And they decided to take a bunch of things with worldly value and worship them. And again, it's a story that seems crazy to us when we take it at face value. But as many of you know, we still do the same thing. It's just way more complicated and way more tempting. We look around us and we see many valuable things in this world, at least valuable for this world. And those things are tempting to us. And we get impatient with God, or maybe we don't like the way that the direction that God's taking our life. So we take those things of earthly value and we make them the center of our lives. And not only do we make them the center of our lives, but we start to rely on them. We start to seek comfort in them and safety in them and answers from them. And we sacrifice our time and effort to them. And eventually, of course, they fail us. And just like the Israelites, we fail God. So this morning, I'm going to invite all of us to do something very simple. It's something that I tell our teens to do a lot. We're going to examine ourselves. And we're going to find any idols that might be hidden within our lives. And again, when I say idol, I don't want you to be imagining the golden calf. I specifically mean Anything that currently does in your life or threatens to take a place that belongs to God. Unfortunately, if you're a human being, self-examination is not always a fun thing. Most of us, I hope most of us, have looked into the mirror and looked a little too deeply and not enjoyed what we saw. But that's okay. Because after you find something and expose something dark in your life, you can work to pull it out into the light And become more like Jesus and become closer to God. That's Christianity. You're never going to do it perfectly. Thank God for grace. But that's Christianity. One of the things that I like to remind teens before I I give a lesson that is going to step on toes. Is to make sure that you examine yourself. Self-examination. The really big important part of that word is self. It's about you. It's not about anyone else. You might know a lot this morning about someone else's hidden idols and someone's idolatry that's right in front of their face that they can't see. But that's not going to help you expose your own. 
You might also enjoy telling someone about how you don't care about certain things. You know what? I never cared about money. I don't care about fancy things. I don't care about what people think about me. Good. That is really good. But what do you care about? Because what you care about greatly is what threatens to become an idol. The other complicated thing about idolatry or potential idols is that in and of themselves, they are not evil. How many of you have jewelry on today? How many of you are wearing earrings just by a show of hands? Let's see. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. You're not sinning by wearing earrings. But as we read in Exodus chapter 32, if I were to pass a bucket around and we filled it with the earrings and melted it down and made a big statue of Mark Yakely right here and started worshiping it, we'd have a problem. That would be bad. These things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but as soon as they take a place that belongs to God, we have a problem. You could take the two hours that you've been here this morning, if you were here for class, arguably we know that time belongs to God. You could sacrifice it to something else and get something in return. You could go sacrifice it to your career. You could go sacrifice it to a relationship, sacrifice it to make more money, and you could get something in return. These good things become sinful as soon as they take God's place. And I'll show you what I mean by examining some of the most common idols for Americans today. And I might hit a nerve or step on a toe. That's all right. I do it to myself a lot. And I'll give you a hint in that. If I mention something that I claim to be a modern idol and you immediately want to argue with me about it, that is where you should start your self-examination. And I'm not saying that it's an idol. I'm saying that's a good place to start. So let's start with the obvious ones that a lot of us think about. How about the idols of wealth and success? Wealth and success. Again, they're not evil, but they are known to consume. Even people who are not Christians know that wealth and success consume. This is not news. And when we sacrifice to those idols, we get something in return. And obviously, I'm not talking about sacrificing to a living God. There's only one living God. I'm talking about putting your time and attention and money and devotion into something and getting something from it in return. You can find many wealthy and successful people who have sacrificed tons of time and energy and devotion to obtain that wealth and success. And many times you can hear stories how they have lost their families and friendships and maybe their souls in the process. You don't have to look too far to see this. You can see this in Hollywood. You can see this on Wall Street. You can see this in probably your close circle of friends and family. It's also important here to point out that wealth and success can be your idol without gaining wealth and success. And you don't want to always have to get something in return. There are tons of people who are not wealthy and who are not successful who this is their idol and who will still fail and still suffer the consequences of that idolatry. The next one, I thought, hey, I'll, I'll throw it in there. I don't preach very often, so I can preach on this. It's a sticky subject, but it'll be okay. How about the idol of modern politics? We'll call this one the golden statue of the donkey or the golden statue of the elephant. It's a touchy subject. I'll put it this way. God has promised that he will take care of you. God's promises mean something, right? God has told you to cast your anxieties on him. 
God has saved us from sin and death. But for many of us, we feel lost and scared when our political side is losing. If we believe all those things, then why do we feel lost and scared? We feel lost and scared because we've put our hope in something less than God, something made by man. If I were to name the the idol of modern politics, anything would be the idol of promises because they promise a lot. Safety and security, money, good things for your children, justice for the oppressed, a better life for you, a better life for everyone. And this idol makes so many promises. And because of that, it's tempting to look to it for safety and security and for justice and for meaning. The problem is like all politics before it, for 2,000 years, it's eventually going to crumble and it's eventually going to fail. Especially, it's especially hard when both sides are trying to convince you that Jesus would vote for them. Over the years, we've seen things get pretty politically volatile. And I've seen Christians sacrifice things. Sacrifice friendships and relationships with family members as they cling so tightly to something constructed by men. Many have even sacrificed the good news of Christ. And in place of that good news, they share news that is adjacent to the gospel. It seems like Christianity and it seems like the gospel, but it's actually sowing seeds of fear in those around them. We fear a world where the other side wins. But again, I'll go back to what I said in the beginning. If God has saved us, if God has conquered sin, if God has conquered death, then what are we trying to win? God doesn't need the things constructed of men to help him in his mission. And God is where we should seek comfort and safety and justice. When we seek the promises of God in the constructs of men, another word for that is idolatry. How about the, and this one is a little more nuanced, but how about the idolatry of gifts God has given us? Our careers, God's given you that. Our talents, God has given you them. How often do we take our talents and our careers and the things that we've been given to by God and make them into gods themselves? And again, God's gifts are good. But when we rely on God's gifts instead of God himself, we're in danger of idolatry. Even our walk with Christ can be perverted by the flesh. There's a preacher that I love listening to and he says, if you want to follow Jesus simply because he will give you a better life, that's idolatry. And I'm going to say that again because I want you to understand it. If you want to follow Jesus simply because he will give you a better life, then that better life is your idol. We follow Christ for the sake of Christ. We follow Christ because he is 100% worthy. So we could go on and on listing potential idols and and hopefully all of you have something banging around in your head that, that could potentially be an idol for you or that threatens to take a place that belongs to God. But what's really important is since these things are good and they're not bad until they become an idol, how do we know if they've become an idol? How do we know if something in our life has taken too much of a place that should belong to God? And there's several ways to do that, but... Um, Most of them end in self-reflection. But what I'm going to give you this morning is what I call the rich young ruler test. 
So all of us know the story of the rich young ruler, but we're going to read it today like we've read it for the first time, because that's really important to do. We're not going to get too far into the weeds, but let's read this story and let's look at it at face value. This is Matthew 19, 16 through 22. You can open your Bibles and follow along. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, Go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now this story over the years has been used many different ways, and it's been taken out of context a lot, so I want to be careful. There's a lot having to do with grace in this story, and a lot having to do with humanity's inability to follow the law. And I want to stop right here and say, even in our idolatry, in our struggle with idolatry, we still have grace. And thank God, because it's a complicated thing. But we still want it out of our lives. We still want to remove the idols from our life, or at least we should. So this morning, I don't want to get into all that, but I want you to pay attention to one special phrase in this set of verses. And that's the reaction that the rich young ruler had when Jesus told him to give up what was obviously his idol. The Gospels tell us that this man went away sorrowful. He went away sad. He walked away from following Jesus sad. So let's do the test for yourself this afternoon. You think about those things in your life that might be idols. And I want you to imagine Christ standing in front of you. And he's telling you, get rid of that and follow me, whatever it is. How sorrowful are you about this being gone from your life? How sad are you? Now, I'm not saying that being sorrowful or sad necessarily means this is an idol. I'm saying it makes it worth examination. Maybe a better way to understand this is this. If I were to assign you something right now, if I were to tell you all, I want you guys to rewrite the story of the rich young ruler, but I want you to give it a happy ending. I want you to give it the right ending. How would you end that story? Okay, everybody that's a Christian knows they're not going to tell me this story with a happy ending and say, okay, the rich young ruler said, well, I'm not going to give up my riches, but I'll still follow you and I think it'll be all right. And Jesus said, yeah, okay, take your riches, let's go follow me and we'll go with our riches. We'll go be rich together. Nobody thinks that that's the right ending of that story. The correct ending shows us, if it were to be the correct ending, shows us where the rich man's heart should have been. It would have been so the rich young ruler went and sold all that he had, gave his riches to the poor, and followed Jesus. That would tell us where his heart was. What a challenge this story brings. How do you know if something is an idol? Do you put it before God? That's the the biggest question. Do you want it with all of your heart? Is it hard to stop thinking about? Do you obsess over something that you think will bring you acceptance or security that God already offers? Are you tempting to gain something promised by God from a source other than God? 
Do you daydream constantly about one specific thing that you don't have? Is, something, is there something that God has given you that you have made into a God? Sometimes it's hard to expose an idol. Sometimes we can't do it. And again, I thank God for grace. Especially in a culture where we all have so much. And if I have a lot and you have a lot, and we look around and everybody has the same stuff, it allows idols to hide in plain sight. And in that case, my prayer for myself and my prayer for you is unfortunately that you lose those things. There's an incredible group of of musical artists that I listen to uh, regularly called Beautiful Eulogy. And when I run, I love to listen to Beautiful Eulogy. Uh, And each one of their songs is a sermon in and of itself. And one of their song lyrics that I could never wrap my head around, and and I finally did, I'm going to share with you this morning. And they say, what's concealed in the heart of having is revealed in the losing of things. What's concealed in the heart of having is revealed in the losing of things. Sometimes the way we feel when we lose a possession or when we lose a job or money or a God-given gift or a friendship or when people fail to live up to our expectations like a spouse or like our children, sometimes that sad feeling that we get exposes something as an idol. Now, it's not great to lose things like that. It's not fun to struggle in that way. But if the day-to-day having of a thing conceals its idolatry, then losing that thing can bring us closer to God. And we should desire that. That's hard, but we should desire that. So what do we do with an exposed idol? What do we do with an exposed idol? Maybe you've been thinking about something, and maybe you've known for a long time that there's something in your life that's idolatry, something that you put in a place of God. Maybe you're thinking of something right now. Maybe you're considering something, and later you're going to think about it. Well, if you know something's an idol, you get rid of it. There you go. I fixed all your idolatry problems. Stop doing that. We know it's more complicated than that, right? And this is where my sermon takes a turn. Because I had something else prepared until Friday morning. I was going to come up here and I was going to give you guys some really practical advice. I was going to tell you about boundaries to set for yourself. I was going to tell you about accountability, about proven methods to get rid of idols in your life. But then I listened to Daryl Denman's Celebration of Life. I was on my way back from Colorado and, and lucky enough we had enough service to where we could turn in or sorry, tune in, and I realized that Daryl wouldn't be very happy with my lesson today, because I'm missing a very huge piece to the puzzle. For those of you who had the pleasure of knowing Daryl Dimon, he was an extremely gospel-focused preacher. Now, a long time ago, they used to just call those preachers, but now you have to designate between the two, and Daryl Dimon was an extremely gospel-focused preacher. And he stepped on my toes more times than I can count, and I owe him a lot for that. But he always included the importance of grace, the importance of holiness, because of and only because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It was very obvious if you knew Daryl that Daryl knew Jesus. It was very obvious if you knew Daryl that Daryl knew the, the Lord and feared the Lord. If you knew Daryl Denman... You knew the gospel. 
I really wish that I could say that about every Christian. What a plain and simple thing. If you knew Daryl Denman, you knew the gospel because he told it to you. So I was going to do something different. I was going to give you guys some logical advice, but sometimes we get caught up in our human methods to rid ourselves of sin, including the sin of idolatry. And we make a plan and we have accountability and we set boundaries, which are all good things. But compared to knowing Jesus Christ, compared to being in the presence of and being close to Jesus Christ and being closer to Jesus Christ, all those things are garbage. You guys can find self-help books in the world. They're a dime a dozen. They're usually on the clearance rack. They might be good advice. It might be good garbage in comparison, but it's garbage. When we focus on our philosophies and our understanding and our logic more than we do the saving power of Jesus Christ and the transforming fruit-bearing spirit that lives within us, we have problems. When we feed ourselves from sources other than God's word and we rely on our own power, we end up entering the cycle that, that I'm talking about. A cycle of flesh that creates more opportunities to put the things of man before the things of God. And that's what we're trying to get away from. I don't want you to get me wrong here. I do want you to set boundaries when it comes to potential idols in your life. I do want you to be held accountable to rid yourselves of things that are taking the place of God. I do want you to find methods that help you do this, but they will be in vain if you are not moving closer to Jesus Christ. Because when we move closer to a light of that caliber, then sin and its true nature become easier to see. And when things that are hard to see become easier to see, they become easier to remove. Very easy to understand. In Philippians 3, Paul warns of those who rely on lesser things to save them rather than Jesus Christ. He's talking about circumcision, but he's talking about people who think that a work can save them, a particular work can save them rather than through and only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And he uses very strong language within the context of what we're talking about this morning to show us the importance of knowing Christ. So let's look at that. This is... Philippians 3, 7 through 11. You can follow along with me. That's just a portion of it on the screen. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. He's talking about miraculous things here. Go back to Daryl Denman. The question that Daryl asks, sorry, asked the congregation during his final lesson before he met Jesus was a very simple question. He said, do you believe in the resurrection? 
When we hear that, I'm, I'm wondering, like, he's sitting here talking to a bunch of people who bear the name of Christ, and he's asking them if they believe in the resurrection. Why would he ask such a simple question? And I think we know the answer. Because many times the fruit that we produce is not in keeping with someone who believes that they are saved for all eternity by a resurrected Savior. If we know Christ, if we understand what he did for us, then that is the beginning of getting rid of any sin, even complicated sin, even the sin that we have to uncover. The sin of our motives. The sin of our selfish ambition, the pride of life. The beginning to get rid, the, the start of getting rid of any of that sin is knowing Christ. Our flesh goes to great lengths, as I said before, to give in to temptation. Especially to idolatry, to the ultimate goal of the glory of our own self. So today I hope you reflect on yourself and I'll do the same thing. And as you reflect on yourself and you say, where do I put God in my life? Does he reign in everything that I do? Do I have any idols that I need to uncover and remove? But before you start any method, any conversation, I want you to ask yourself the simple question that Daryl asked that congregation shortly before he met his hero, Jesus. And that's, do you believe in the resurrection? And li listen to this, because this is important. We forget this. I forget this. I'm not admonishing. I'm telling you and I'm telling myself. There is no greater catalyst for change than the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we are so forgetful. Like Steve said earlier, it's why I appreciate that I'm a part of a church that takes communion every week, because I forget. But when I remember... And when I meditate on what Christ did for me, all of those idols, all of those potential idols, they pale in comparison. And all of a sudden, I'm freed up to set my mind on things above and not on earthly things. Everything is a loss for the sake of being found in Christ. The more of his light that we can shed on ourselves the more of his light that we can shed on our flesh, the greater ability we will have to see our idols and to stop being tempted by the lesser earthly lights around us. He is worthy of everything we have, even if we gain nothing on this earth. If you guys are here this morning and you have not witnessed his light, it's amazing. If you've not participated in his death, burial, and resurrection to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you need that. This world is hard and dark. If you're tired of letting fake gods let you down and if you're struggling with, with anything in your life or if you're wanting to understand more about Christ or more about church or more about yourself, then you're in the right place. And we'll have elders in the back of the auditorium who are ready to meet with you as we stand and sing.